Maybe the sun gave me the power. Well, hello again and welcome to the HarmaCast. I am Dean Martin, your host, back uh, fresh off the Mid-Atlantic District Contest weekend. Uh, and uh, wanted to congratulate the uh, our champions. Uh, Mad Hatters won the Colt Tetch Championship. Uh, Frank the Dog came in a close second and Limelight uh, right on their heels at third place. And of course, competition, Voices of Gotham uh, took the uh, top honor. Followed by Big Apple Chorus and then uh, Chorus of the Chesapeake. And coming up in a couple minutes, I'm going to air an interview that I did earlier in the week with uh, Voices of Gotham director Larry Baumbach. Uh, you want to stick around for that? I think you'll enjoy it. Also, at the end of the show, I have uh, resurrected the tag teaching time. Actually, uh, Simon Rylander from Lund, Sweden was kind enough to do that for me. Uh, actually, did it uh, last the end of last year and. Just uh, have not done shows enough shows in the meantime to uh, air it. So uh, most of you know Simon as uh, Finney Lee on uh, as the Barbershop YouTube Rockstar. Uh, he's the one that started all the uh, video, uh, four-part video tags that everyone loves to uh, watch and listen to. So uh, you're going to want to stick around for that. Uh, coming up in uh, Harmonizer Life is the uh, uh, very popular Christmas show. And uh, if you want to see a bunch of uh, men dressed up as uh, elves and Christmas gifts, check out uh, alexanderharmonizerspresent.com. You can find the details about the show there uh, uh, December, Friday, December 2nd, and Saturday, December 3rd. There's uh, three different uh, shows in the evening and afternoon. So uh, alexanderharmonizerspresent.com for uh, more details. Uh, we'll see you back here in a minute for the interview. Pleased to have on the call today, uh, talented musician and barbershopper extraordinaire right here in the Mid-Atlantic District, Mr. Larry Baumbach. Larry, welcome to the show today. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you for having me on the show, Dean. Well, Larry, among your many accomplishments listed on your bio, uh, the I see the uh, win, the quartet championship win with Road Trip, uh, Anthony Colosimo and those guys, and uh, then the uh, district win and uh, international semifinalists uh, quartet that you're currently in uh, around midnight, which is a uh, uh, much-loved quartet here in the Mid-Atlantic District, uh, and a uh, couple of uh, uh, music degrees, uh, but I also see uh, what is all this left brain stuff here, uh, finance and administration <laughs> that I see in your bio. Well, you know, uh, they say that uh, people who are very good at music are also very good at math. I've always had uh, I've, I've always had a sort of knack for numbers, um, and I've been uh, an arts administrator uh, really for my whole professional career, my my young professional career, but uh, my whole professional career I've always been. Um, doing arts administration and in, in particular uh, focusing on on the financial aspects of uh, of nonprofit arts organizations. So uh, I used to work at the New York Youth Symphony uh, as their operations manager, and I was their staff accountant. And um, now at Opera America, I'm the director of finance and operations. So I really function as the CFO and, and COO of this national service organization where. We are, I always tell people who are in barbershop, we are essentially the BHS of, of the opera world. That's okay. what our organization does. 
Well, great. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I wanted to congratulate you on the win last weekend. The one thing I guess I didn't mention in your bio was that you are indeed the uh, director, the musical director of the Voices of Gotham Chorus in Hell's Kitchen. And Voices of Gotham, of course, won the uh, Mid-Atlantic District Chorus Contest last weekend. So congrats for that. Thank you very much. We are still on such a high from this weekend. It's, it's really it was such an amazing experience. It was uh, definitely fun to see. Uh, you guys had a uh, had a great uh, clean sound, as as clean as I've ever heard. And and uh, but Big Apple had a good sound also. Enjoyed uh, enjoyed hearing them. But uh, Voices of Gotham uh, beat them out by six points, as it was in the, out of fourteen hundred or so. So that's uh, what uh, less than half a percent. So, <laughs> but uh, tell us a little bit about your, the course preparation going into district and your focus going into the contest. Absolutely, we we made some big changes to the choruses. Um, just planning for contest after uh, after this last division contest, we we really wanted to make a strong push at district. Uh, we knew that Alexandria was not going to be competing. Uh, then we found out that uh, the brothers and Harmony weren't going to be competing. And uh, we said we really want to make a strong statement and uh, no more of this just going out to contest and having, having a good time. Um, so we, we moved from an every other week rehearsal schedule to every week, which I, I have to say was so helpful to just muscle memory and retention. We focused a lot more on um, just barbershop fundamentals because we had a lot of new guys join the chorus since um, division, a lot of brand new guys who really had had no barbershop experience. So we really need to go back to basics, doing a lot of stuff on, on vowels, a lot of stuff on dynamics, about finishing phrases, those kind of just basic barbershop 101 stuff, word sounds, sync, those types of things. And we focused on that. Uh, week in, week out. We brought in some fantastic coaches. Joe Connolly came in the beginning of the summer. We had George Gipp a couple times. We had Jack Pinto a couple times. And um, we, we really worked very hard from a, from a music and singing perspective. On the presentation side, we, uh, we, we focused our presentation um, a little bit more than we have in the past. We've, we've tended to be a little bit more out there in terms of our presentational style and sometimes requiring a little bit more thinking on the part of the audience. I don't want to say that we dumbed down the presentation, but I think we made it a little bit more simpler and easier to interpret. Um, and our incredible presentation guy, who's only two years into the chorus and only two years into barbershop, his name is Eric Engelhardt. Uh, he's fantastic. He put that whole presentation package together, and it really looked incredible. Well, you, it's quite impressive that you were able to uh, bring a set of new guys up to speed that fast, and you really did have a, uh, a good uh, a good sound and package uh, that you presented. So I wanted to back up a bit and talk a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you get started in barbershop? What are your other musical influences, uh, uh, background, and et cetera? Sure. Um, I got brought into barbershop from... Uh, from my, my college days, I was in an acapella group, and one of the guys in my acapella group pulled me aside after rehearsal and a couple other guys, and he said, hey, do you guys mind just uh, singing this song through with me? And we were like, what is this? And he gave us the sheet music, this sort of Spebsquare arrangement of, uh, of Coney Island Baby and Yes Sir, That's My Baby. And we sang through the stuff, and we were like, oh, this is really great. This is, this, this, this is fun stuff to sing. And we, um, and we wound up forming a little barbershop quartet that would perform on our acapella um, groups shows and it became this little novelty act within our acapella shows 
and we were our college was was right near Philadelphia, so the, so we went to a lot of Bryn Mawr Mainliners rehearsals, and they sort of took us under their wing. And uh, at uh, the Bryn Mawr Mainliners paid for us to compete in a, in a college competition, and it was during that that college competition cycle, and they also paid for us to go to Harmony College East. We actually met um, a group called Four B We from Five Towns College. And that's how I originally met all the guys who I now sing with in Round Midnight. It's amazing how how it all comes full circle in the and the small world that is that is barbershop. Well, that's uh, there's two things that stood out to me there. First of all, the way the Bryn Mawr guys uh, invested in in um, in you guys. You know, you never know where that payoff is gonna is gonna happen. So it was uh, great to hear uh, that they were able to do that and. Of course, uh, Harmony College East. Uh, I love the way that um, you know what Round Midnight has meant to that program each year. Uh, the way that you you guys aren't very uh, far removed as far as age from the uh, Youth and Harmony uh, students that are there, and they just uh, they just love you guys, and you guys uh, spend a lot of time and invest back into into the lives of those youth, so it's been great to see. Yeah, we we absolutely love supporting the Youth and Harmony program. We do a lot of we, we do a lot of uh, workshops whenever we do chapter shows in the area. Um, oftentimes a, a chapter will ask us to go work with work with the high school students or middle school students in the area. And we've sort of gotten this down to a science now. We've got a really good kind of workshop package that we present every time we go to a, we go to a school and work with students. That's, uh, that's great that you guys can do, can do that and take the time to do that. But, uh... Uh, Voices of Gotham as a chorus is is fairly young. It's only a couple years old now. Um, tell us a bit about the chorus origins, and um, then how you came to uh, to the director into the director position with the chorus. Sure. So the the chorus was uh, formed really over a beer. <laughs> um, myself and and three other guys. We were singing in a novice quartet for the for the Rawway competition. And this was in uh, we were we were we were preparing in, in December of 2007, and um, afterwards, after our rehearsal, we uh, we all went for a beer, and these guys said that they would really love it if I could go ahead and try to form um, a group in New York that could sort of be the uh, East Coast version of of Westminster was was how they described it, and I thought that was a pretty lofty. <laughs> task and a pretty huge proposition and I said well I'm flattered that you think I could do that uh, how about we just sort of try to get a group of guys together and see what happens <laughs> so uh, they knew because they were they were pretty new to um, New York but they had they had had barbershop experience in other cities a couple of, they had sang in in Boston and in uh, and in Missouri respectively but they came to New York and in West Virginia it was three different guys actually and they, they so they knew that I knew a lot of guys in in the city and I um, I sent an email out to a whole bunch of people and, and said, hey, look, I'm going to buy uh, a rehearsal room for a couple hours on a Thursday night in January. And I sent out a save the date. And I sent people two, sheep, two pieces of sheet music, one for Bright Was the Night and one for Baby Smiles at Me. And uh, I said, you know, show up. We're just going to see what happens. We're going to sing through stuff and we'll see what happens. And we had a great uh, first uh, get together. We, we sang through the stuff. I was directing it. Um, and we sang through all this music, and we had a great time. And after a couple hours, we said, "Well, this was kind of fun. Do you guys want to do it again?" It was sort of like a date with, with twelve or 50, you know, with, with, with twelve guys, and we we all asked each other out for another uh, for another get together. So we all got together a couple weeks later, and uh, by then a couple more people had joined the group, and we were at you know fourteen or sixteen guys. 
uh, at that next rehearsal, and um, things really start to, to really start to take off there. Um, a couple of guys in the chorus were saying, you know, we have, you know, the the division contest is coming up at the end of April, and we'd love to be able to compete in the division contest if this group ever got off the ground. Um, so, you know, I, I always thank Steve Skolnick and uh, James Nickerson, who are, who are still in, in the chorus, and this guy Will McCain, who's no longer in the chorus, but he was our first chorus president. They took on the administrative reins, they ran with it, they got the chorus incorporated, they did all the stuff and all the paperwork that was required with, with BHS, and uh, they really made the chorus happen because they got the chorus on its feet and they did it in a really short amount of time. We literally got the approval of our charter the day before the uh, division contest that we were trying to get into so badly. Is that right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and they presented us with the charter that, that day <laughs> at the contest. And uh, so that was really how the chorus got started in terms of how I became the director. Uh, I was never actually officially appointed as the director, and I still don't have a contract. Uh, <laughs> if anybody at Voices of Gotham's board of directors is listening, um, I still don't have a contract or anything like that. Um, I, uh, I literally just... Uh, just sort of took it on because nobody else was, was really stepping up to do it. And uh, I've always sort of said that I've had natural-born leadership skills to begin with. You can see where I am in my own current position uh, in my career. Um, so I just sort of stepped up, took it on, and nobody seemed to complain. And, you know, that's where I am today. I don't think I'll be with the chorus forever and being its director. I don't think I'm going to be like a Jim Clancy type of person. I Eventually, I'd like to have a family. Um, and uh, I know when, when, when I have children, I'm sure that's going to take away some time and I probably won't be able to uh, spend as much time directing as I would like to. But uh, I'm in the process of grooming an assistant director for the chorus right now, um, and he's doing a great job. Well, you mentioned uh, Brightest Night in uh, My Baby's Eyes Are Blue, or My Baby yeah, Smiles at Me. Well, that was the two songs. Was that the two songs you guys did in the first, in the first district contest? That was. Those were the first two songs we did at our first district contest. Exactly. You have a very good memory, Dean. Well, I, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why I remember. Either that, that. or you, either that, or you looked at the score sheets before this call. <laughs> no, but one uh, uh, one standout. I think it was the second the second year you guys competed was uh, a standout performance for me. And, and uh, voices. And you guys did a set at districts. I think it was districts. I assume it was you at a fake piano, and the guys all standing down on the floor in front of the risers. And, and uh, I just thought, that, you know, I was, was there watching it, and I thought, this is like the most creative and innovative set I've seen in a uh, in a district contest in the Mid Atlantic. Uh, uh, can you tell us? Uh, I assume my memory's correct there, but can uh, no, you're absolutely right. That that. <laughs> That song was uh, Mark Hale's arrangement of the, of the Piano Roll Blues that Michigan Jake uh, made famous. And um, I had always wanted to do that song with a chorus. It's one of my favorite songs. It was a song that I had actually really wanted to do with, with Road Trip, the, the Collegiate Quartet, but we weren't, able to, we, were really, we weren't able to run with that. So we did it with the chorus, and I always had this idea that I would conduct the song from the piano as if, all, so all the conducting gestures would come from the piano itself. That only got me so far, um, and, I, and, I, and I really needed the assistance of somebody to kind of put a presentation package into it. And it was around that time that this guy, Eric Engelhardt, who does our presentation now, he just joined the chorus. And again, he had no barbershop experience, 
and he really made that set what it was. He uh, he understood what I was after that I basically wanted to conduct the chorus from the piano so that there was a, a true breaking down of that fourth wall between the chorus and the audience and that they weren't watching somebody flapping their arms um, but that the conducting was truly integrated into the in, into the music. And uh, Eric totally loved the idea and he was really gung-ho. He had had some experience uh, doing marching band um, choreography in his previous capacity as a music teacher when he was down in, in New Orleans. And he said uh, he would love to run with it. And uh, I think part of the reason why it looked so creative and so original it was because it was really put together by a non-barber shopper's eyes. You know, there were definitely some flaws in that uh, in that approach. The, 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 the sync was, was difficult and the chorus spread out a lot so it was hard to hear one another and our tuning wasn't fantastic. But from a visual perspective, uh, it was a very exciting set. And you were not the only person who says to me, Voices of Gotham, are you the guys who did that thing with the piano? <laughs> And uh, I would I would love to get us back to you know maybe when we're a little bit more established as a as a chorus we can revive that set and really clean up all those sync issues and tuning issues that resulted from being a smaller chorus because when we when we grow and become a bigger chorus I think we can still do what Eric originally intended and what I originally intended but do it with the great wonderful singing that we were able to show uh, that we were able to showcase over this past weekend. Yeah, well, I I didn't know you at the time, but I did. Uh... I knew Steve Skolnick from um, Atlantic Harmony Brigade, and I went up to him afterwards. And I said that I, I just loved that uh, that package. And yeah, there were some little sync issues, but really, you, you were you guys did an amazing job for you know being as spread out as you were, as small course as you were, and you know no real. Uh, it was very difficult for them to see uh, what you were doing as far as cues. So uh, kudos, that was, that was a great job. So. Uh, you guys are located in the uh, art and cultural center of the world, New York City. So uh, <laughs> I, know, I know it's only been uh, a couple of years, but have you been able to create an identity for yourself and, and make a mark in that community? Absolutely. I mean, if you think back to those original performances of Voices of Gotham, we didn't have any outfit. You know, I just basically told the guys. We didn't have any money. I just said, you know, where... Wear red, white, and black. I don't care what it looks like. Just make sure those are the only three colors you have on stage so that we have some sort of unifying characteristics. Um, but one of the founding members of the chorus, this guy Brian Linval, uh, a couple of years ago said that he really wanted to take on a true um, identity for the organization. He wanted to lead the real branding effort for the chorus. And uh, that's what he does professionally. He's in graphic design and in branding and identity creation for corporations. So he really took on this task and he went through a whole branding study and he did interviews with people in the chorus about what they like and what they don't like and it was a very impressive presentation and what it ended up with was with a new logo, a new look um, for the chorus and a new motto for the chorus. So the, the, the colors changed from red, black and white to a particular Pantone of blue. I don't have the numbers exactly, but there's this exact blue that has to be uh, used in all of our logos and ties and things like that. So there's this, there's this Gotham blue, and uh, that there is now a logo and a motto on the logo that uh, says, Live in the Seventh, which is a very vague term, and it's supposed to be interpreted as how anybody wants to interpret it. You know, for me, this, what live in the seventh means, and it means something different for everybody in the chorus, but I've explained this to the chorus, that for me, it's all about a journey. 
you know, what makes the seventh sound so exciting in barbershop is that it's an unresolved chord. You can't just end something on a seventh. When you do, it sounds unfinished, it sounds unresolved. And that barbershop seventh sound always sounds like it needs to go somewhere else. And for me, that live in the seventh means, you know, always live in this idea that you're constantly on a journey to be a better singer, to be a better performer, to be better engaged with your audience, and to be able to create better and better and better music. Um, but for other people, it can mean something totally different. I think for other people, living in the seventh means enjoying the, the friendship and the camaraderie and the brotherhood that comes with being in, in this uh, art form. And that wonderful sense you get when chords are ringing, but also when you're just having a beer with your friends after a, a rehearsal. That's a, uh, I really like the analogy of, you know, the unresolved seventh, uh, moving things forward. And it kind of goes into the next question that I had. And, uh, and it has to do with us, uh, continually improving, uh, continually looking for ways to better ourselves as, as musicians. And, uh, uh this is a, a singing hobby and that we're in, and I'm pretty sure most of us got in it because we liked the sound of that, those harmonies. And, wanted to create it and wanted to make it better each time. And, um, and of course, you know, as, as for myself, at least as I, you know, the first time I sang in a pickup quartet at that first chapter meeting, you know, I heard something, if I would look back on it now, it probably wasn't very good, but each time, <laughs> each time you get to that next level, you know, you just want to move forward even, even more. So tell me a little about how you help your guys improve individually and then your chorus as a unit get to uh, get to that next level we never used to provide learning tracks and at, at a board meeting early in the year um, we made a, a, a real decision to from from now on any new piece we introduced to the chorus we would do learning tracks and this came after conversations that I had and the assistant director had with other chapters in the society and, and realizing how important those learning tracks uh, truly are. We need to give high quality learning materials to the guys in this chorus, not because they can't read music, most of my guys can read music, but because they're very busy and they won't necessarily have the time to sit down at a piano. I can't imagine anybody in my chorus has a piano or could have a piano fit in their apartment in New York City. So I think they need that opportunity to be able just to you know, have an MP3 and put it into their iPod or smartphone and listen to it on the subway or while they're driving to work. So learning tracks was a big thing. Also, I think moving to weekly rehearsals uh, added a, a level of seriousness to the chorus that was lacking when we were in an every other week situation. And I think some people left the chorus when we, we went to an every other uh, when we when we started going to every week, specifically because they knew that this was not the 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 the, the chorus for them. That this was a little bit too serious for what they wanted at this time you know and 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 we use competition not as an end but as a means to an end you know we're, we're, we're not here to beat choruses or to you know uh, or in it just you know in it to win it or uh, you know we're all about competition that's really not what we're after we want to be able to just come off the stage and say that was the best performance we've ever had and then when we have a rehearsal right before a performance, we like to say that that's the second best performance we've ever had because the best one's going to happen tomorrow. And we like to think of, as I said, competition as a, as a means to an end. You know, it's, it's, it's not an end. It's not like district competition is the end. The, the end for us is, you know, 100 points, is being, is being a, a spectacular chorus that everybody loves and, you know, respects and wants to be in and wants to see perform and if a competition makes us 
rehearse stronger and rehearse better and rehearse more in order to achieve that end, then competition's a really great thing. And that's how we like to treat competition. Do you have any kind of accountability system for the guys to use recordings or anything to monitor progress, for the guys to monitor their own progress, or for section leaders to uh, know where the guys are at? We don't do anything like that. It's something I definitely want to start doing a little bit more um, uh, in, in 2012. I, I, I feel that with the small number of guys, you know, but basically up until this contest, we never had more than 30 guys on stage. So it was relatively easy to figure out if somebody wasn't able to hold their part. And I could speak to a section leader and say to the section leader, hey, you know, I need you to make sure that this person's on or this person's, you know, going to be okay for the contest. And the section leader can usually handle it. And even a few guys uh, for this contest actually said, you know, I'm just not ready for this contest. Without even me going up to them, they said, I'm not ready for this contest. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit out. But I think as, as we continue to grow, because now we were at 36 at this contest, and I think we're going to be, you know, closer to 45 when we get to international, um, I think when we have that many numbers, we're going to have to implement some sort of accountability system. And I've already been speaking to a couple people in Alexandria to figure out how they do it. Alexandria is a big model for us. We, we respect them immensely. We respect Joe immensely. We, expect, we respect their administrative capacities immensely. And um, we like to emulate a lot of their best practices. And one of their best practices is accountability of members. I guess uh, I'm thinking that, that that makes it even more impressive that, that you were able to take uh, a block of uh, new singers that you acquired between uh, division and, and district and get them up to speed as far as uh, vocal uh, quality and balance. I don't know where I don't know if they were previous barbershoppers or outside the hobby uh, or in other ensembles where the ensemble sound is uh, reinforced. But how did you how did you get them to work into that ensemble and, and barbershop sound in such a short period? Um, one thing that happened was that we were the mic te testers at International, so that's sort of forced people who had joined in between district and international to just work really hard, really quickly, and I'm, I'm sure that helped a little bit. But as I said, we, we focused a lot for those for the months of July and August, even before we really dove into the choreography in, in the end of August and all throughout September. We were just doing those barbershop fundamentals, and we talked a lot about unit sound. I also changed the riser positions of people after after international and I think that probably helped a lot as well we used to just sort of compete in a, sh in a totally shotgun position where everybody was all over the place and we sort of did it by who looked really good on the front row and who was tall in the back row and that sort of stuff and I and we didn't really think as a music team about where where we want to strategically place people and for what reasons so for this contest I put all the bases um, front and center they were all in front of me I flanked them on either side uh, with leads and then on either side of the leads were the baritones so that um, you know you were, you had this this wedge essentially of, of basses surrounded by leads surrounded by baritones so you ask where where were the tenors there was a little pocket of four tenors in the um, upper left hand corner of the chorus so the 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 upstage right was where the little pocket of tenors was, and that was a that was a trick I, I, I stole from the great Joe Cerruti, who also puts a little pocket of tenors on stage right. What, what's nice about having the tenors all in one area is that you can immediately access them when you need them, because that's 
one of the reasons they're there for is to be able to just enhance a, a, a big loud chord. And if you need a little bit more tenor, you can immediately point to them and just say, come out. Uh, you can also tell them to back off because they have that same problem. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, so it's nice to be able to instantly identify them. But I, I, I have to think that putting people in that in that uh, format where they were in, they were essentially in section so that they could hear their own section, but they were also able to hear the most important part relative to their part. So the baritones were able to hear the leads the, and the leads were able to hear the basses. I think that really helped get the unit sound together. There's a uh, recurring thread from time to time, a thread of discussion from time to time in our hobby, uh, both uh, talking about decl decline in society-wide membership or if you're talking to an individual chapter that happens to be going through a decline, you know, the decline in, uh, in members in that particular chapter. Uh, I interviewed Brandon Guyton a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about chapter health and what makes a, uh, a chapter uh, grow and flourish. And, and uh, he immediately took it back to the uh, a key to both uh, chapter and society health and growth is, uh, and he said, I just believe it really goes back to quality leadership at the local chapter level. And he said that's that's what keeps him going back to Ambassadors of Harmony each and every week. Uh, he said, I know every week that I go back there, I'm going to learn something new, grow as a musician. And, uh, you know, I was, um, I was somewhat impressed with that because I see him as kind of a, a barbershop icon, you know, one of the, probably one of the best vocalists in the, uh, in the society. But uh, tell me a little bit about what leadership means and what it looks like in the Voices of Gotham Chorus. Sure, you know, leadership comes from a lot of different people. It's uh, there's obviously artistic leadership, and that's me and uh, Eric, our our assistant director, who also does all of our presentation. But we also have a, a, a fantastic board. Our our president, Braden Link, has been one of the founding members of the group. He uh, he comes from the business world, and he just knows how to get things done. He's really good at delegating. He's very responsive when it comes to emails, and he's very personable and knows how to get along well with contact. I spoke about Brian Linval, our um, marketing VP, who was the one who put the whole identity together. I'm I'm convinced that the identity is a real reason why um, the Voice of Gotham has seen a lot of growth uh, in in the past several months. I think when you come to a course and you know that it's about these these things and you know you're going to learn these sorts of things, um, and that all jives with the identity of the course, which is not to have a, uh, an age restriction, but to have a youthful vibe to it, um, a youthful, edgy New York vibe uh, to the chorus that, that speaks to the identity of the course. I, I, think, I think that's a big thing. Steve Skolnick, uh, who you mentioned before, uh, is one of my biggest heroes in this chorus because Steve is the master of search engine optimization on Google. And, uh, you know, we used to be, like, on the second or third page when you typed in acapella New York or barbershop New York or quartet New York. And I don't know what the hell Steve did to make this happen, but now you type in acapella New York or barbershop New York or barbershop quartet New York, Voice of Gotham is the first thing that people see. So we get a lot of people who a lot of people join the chorus because they they come to they come to New York they've moved here for any reason they've sang they've sang in an acapella group in college and they type in acapella New York or New York chorus or whatever and we're the first thing that pops up and you know Steve is such a computer whiz to be able to make that happen uh, I thank him immensely because I always ask the guys who join the chorus how'd you find out nine times out of ten it's going to be like yeah I just googled New York acapella 
So that, that's that, that's a big thing. We've got a great membership VP. His name is Nemo Ashong. Nemo is also brand new to barbershop, but a super go-getter. One of these guys who could, you know, sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. <laughs> he's uh, he's such a great salesman, and uh, he's just full of energy. And he once once a new member comes to a rehearsal or a guest comes to a rehearsal, he follows up. He's very consistent. He's very positive, and he's 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 always helping out. I'm sure I've forgotten some of the other board members at large, um, but we've just got a really strong, active, excited, uh, and energized board. Now, I will say uh, our financial leadership is not the greatest, but for no fault of our own, it's a very expensive city. You know, one of our biggest problems as a chorus, and it's something that our board constantly is trying to find a solution to. Now that we have, you know, we're in our fourth year now is the the uh, the problem of, of rehearsal space. We are paying so much money for rehearsal space, $150 a week, and it is just bleeding the chorus dry. It, it, it becomes a, you know tens of thousands of dollars every year for, for a rehearsal space when we add in extra rehearsals. And uh, it, it, it's becoming so difficult to sustain that, and we are constantly looking for a church or a community center or something uh, that would be able to host us at a real discounted rate or, you know, God willing, a, a complimentary rate, just so that we could be able to start building our cash reserves, because I know that that's a major concern for the chorus is just long-term sustainability. Can we continue to build up our cash base so that we could support the membership growth that's happening? Um, we don't want to continue to building, building and building up memberships and growing and growing and growing, but not be on strong financial footing. And the answer to that financial footing is definitely going to come uh, with the with the rehearsal space because we're doing fine on shows we, we we sell out our shows we make good profits on the shows but ultimately all that just gets funneled right into the rehearsal space yeah that question actually popped into my mind when you were talking about chorus origin you said that you uh, personally rented a, a space i thought eh, i wonder what rehearsal space costs in new york city can be cheap yeah now that was that was a small room that was only 10 you know that was only 10 or 12 guys so i was able to do that for 15 dollars an hour but you know now we're in now we're much bigger and we're paying 50 to 75 dollars an hour for a rehearsal space yeah. and it's and, and and it's terrible rehearsal space we were we, we we rehearse with where where there's there's Broadway dancers having their river dance rehearsal above us sometimes and you hear you know constant pounding on the ceiling while we're all, while we're trying to sing it's it's not a great situation um, for rehearsals so this, if anybody's listening to this podcast and knows of any free rehearsal space in New York City please email me <laughs> at lbombeck at gmail dot com because I will look I will do anything to find better rehearsal space yeah. for us. Looking to the future, I uh, assume you're going to spend a week or two here celebrating your your victory and talking about what you did uh, what you did well and uh, what you can improve on from districts. But uh, I, I, where do you go next? I see from your website that you produce two shows a year, which is an ambitious endeavor uh, for uh, for any size course. But uh, and uh, <laughs> imagine finding a show facility in New York City is not a cheap uh, option either. But where does where's course go from here? The next, uh, the next two big things on our on our calendar are no, well, the first is on November fifth, which is an, is our Tin Pan Alley Novice Contest. It's the second year we've done this. We've got we really try to foster an active quartetting culture, and we try to encourage all of our chorus members to sing in quartets because we think it's an extremely valuable skill set that can then be applied to the chorus and can really enhance the chorus's sound. Uh, if everybody in the chorus is, is in a quartet, so we we host our own novice contest, and it's a very informal affair. We do it actually in a bar. Uh, but we have real judges. This year around midnight is going to be the, 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 the judging panel. 
and uh, people will get scored accurately. And uh, it's going to be a fun contest. And uh, so that's that's the first thing. And then afterwards, we just you know uh, we have a typical afterglow, and we eat and we drink and we sing. And then in December, we have a very exciting show coming up. Uh, it'll be in the biggest venue we've ever been in, an 800-seat venue, an 800-seat auditorium. Um, and it's at Symphony Space in Manhattan, in the Upper West Side. And we've got OC Times on the show, which is amazing. We are, we are so thrilled. They reached out to us. They said, we'd love to sing on, you know, sing on your show. And we said, well, we're planning on doing one in December. Any interest in doing it? And they were like, absolutely. Oh, my incredi- goodness. <laughs> they've, been incredi- they've been incredibly gracious to us. And we are so thrilled to have them on our show, and we will be forever uh, indebted to them for them singing on our show this this December. We've also got Round Midnight on the show, so it's going to be two um, you know really original quartets doing their own thing uh, on the show. Obviously, the chorus is going to be performing. We've got two other great chapter quartets, uh, Who's on Seventh and Flatiron Four, who came in fifth place at District. Absolutely, they did a great job too. Did a killer job. They just they just knocked it out of the park, and they're starting to get their own identity too now. So I'm really excited to 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 see where they go. And there'll there'll be some other surprises that are happening at that show that I don't really want to give away. It's 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 going to be a very very exciting show, and uh, I hope we sell out. We haven't had a, a show where we haven't sold out in the past, so let's see what happens this time. So that's that's in the short term, and then obviously in the in the longer term, we are we're going to start gearing up for for Portland. the The plan at this moment is really to do two new songs uh, that we would do at Portland, and then probably do at District again in 2012. We're already starting to work on those two um, songs, getting the learning tracks together. My goal is to have at least 45 guys on stage at Portland. I'm hoping some of the older voices of Gotham guys. Uh, who have left the chorus will will come back and, and, and join us for Portland. Um, and if we can get over 50 for Portland, that would be even better. That'd be, yes, that'd be great. Uh, it would be great to see you out there. And I uh, look forward to seeing you guys uh, representing Mid-Atlantic District uh, in the uh, chorus contest. And you will indeed do us proud. So uh, uh, looks like you, it sounds like you have a great year ahead planned. And uh, uh, appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy schedule this week. I'm sure you had plenty to do. So I uh, appreciate you taking time to talk with us. And like I said, uh, wish you all the best in uh, Portland. Say hi to the guys for me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, it was one of those things, but look at me now. Oh, yeah, look at me now. I want to see my baby now. earlier simon rylander was kind enough to do the tag teaching segment for us so you can find information and uh, everything you want to know about simon at sunshinetracks.com sunshinetracks.com i'll have a link to that in the show notes and once you're on his website he has links to uh, everything you want to know about simon Uh, his youtube channel the q-tones quartet uh, link to the uh, cd look at us now that that uh, simon recorded and produced himself and uh, so with that we'll turn the show over to simon thank you dean it's a pleasure to be here at the harmo cast and uh, teaching a tag to all of you guys listening out there when choosing the tag i uh, wanted to come up with something unique that um, not many people have heard before and at the same time something that everybody would love the problem though is that most tags that people love are very, very famous tags. 
But then I got to think of a friend of mine. His name is Oscar Schoberg, and uh, he and I used to sing together in the Zero Eight Chorus. Uh, he writes really, really cool tags that we used to sing during the rehearsal and after the rehearsal. And um, out of the tags he wrote, my favorite one, which is also one of his first ones, is called Yellow Coffin. And the lyrics are, when I die, I want a yellow coffin. And the lyrics of this tag is probably a huge reason why I'm so attached to it. Anyway, it's a screamer tag. The pitch is A-flat. And there's going to be a huge post in the lead part that goes... When I die... And you just hold that forever. And, of course, the most awesome way to sing this note is to just belt it. Just go for it. Sing it in chest voice. I'll demonstrate it to you later. Anyway, the bass part goes something like this. When I die, I want a yellow coffin. When I, when I die. Now you can probably already figure out that this tag is going to contain some really awesome chords that you don't normally hear in other tags. Don't worry though, it's going to sound awesome. Now the baritone part goes like this. When I die I want a yellow coffin When I When I Now the wording of the tenor part is a little bit different. Uh, the tenor doesn't actually sing I want a. It just holds when I die yellow coffin. The tenor also starts below the post so it sounds like this. When I die yellow coffin And when you put it all together and make the post a little bit longer and add some interp and some general awesomeness, it sounds something like this. When I die, I want a yellow coffin. When I... When I... That's an incredible tag. Hey, thanks a lot, Simon. Uh, go over to sunshinetracks.com and uh, connect with Simon, get a copy of his CD, and uh, tell him, tell him uh, thanks for doing the uh, tag time for us on the Harmonicast. Thanks for 
tuning in to another Harmacast show. Go to the website, harmacast.com, leave a comment for us, and, uh, of course, check out alexandriaharmonizerspresent.com for the latest information about upcoming shows and information on the harmonizers. See you next time.